0: Ram begot Amminadab, and Amminadab begot Nashon and Nahshon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Amon, and Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begot Abiud, and Abiud begot Eliakim. And Eliakim begot Azor, Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Akim. and Akim begot Eliud. Eliud begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathan, and Mathan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. All the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together... For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took to him his wife. And did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now I want you to turn to chapter 3, verse 13. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Verse 13. Then Jesus came to Galilee, to John, at the Jordan, to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's our scripture reading for this morning. Now take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. So we got stuck in this text here a little bit, but we're going to move on past it today. We'll, we'll, move, we'll get as far as verse 4, Lord willing, Okay, as far as verse 4. Um, in verse 1, what we have seen here so far is three points of identification as to who the writer of this epistle is, of this letter is. His name is Paul. His position is a slave or a servant of Jesus Christ, and his vocation is that he's called to be an apostle. And so this morning, we're going to look at the last part of this verse, and we're going to see his mission, his mission. As we read it here at the end of verse 1, it says separated to the gospel of God. So we're going to take a look at his mission this morning. And then we're going to take a look at his message. Because his mission and his message go together. So again, the mission that we're talking about is is the mission of Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ who is an apostle. And it says he is separated to the gospel of God. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean to be separated? Let me give you a few things to help us think about this word, separated. First, it points to distinction. It points to distinction. Uh, The word separated here comes from the Greek word that has the idea of horizon, a horizon. So the best place to see a horizon is probably at the beach, right? So if you're sitting on the beach and you're looking out over the ocean, the horizon is that line, right? That line, that small little sliver of line that separates the earth from the sky, right? That's the the horizon. So a horizon, a horizon distinguishes the earth from the sky, from the heavens, the earth from the heavens. And so this word separated has the idea of marking out something as distinct or something that is distinguishable from those things around it. And so Paul is separated. He is separated. This word also points to someone else doing the separating. It literally says here has been separated. Has been. Now, in the New King James, it just says separated, and it sounds like it's just past tense. But in the Greek, it says has been separated. So that means somebody did this to Paul. Paul didn't separate himself, he didn't distinguish himself, he did not make himself separated. Somebody did this. Now, right here, we're not told explicitly who that was, but we'll come back to it. Later. So this word points to someone else. Also, this word points to the past. It points to the past. Again, Paul has been separated. Has. Has. Points to the past. In fact, the way that Paul writes here, it indicates that Paul was separated in the past and that separation continues right on up to the present time. He was separated and he still is separated. He was marked out as distinct and he is still marked out as distinct. Now the Bible tells us when that happened. Tells us when that happened. So I want you to do a little page flipping with me here, and I want you to turn back to Galatians, or turn forward to Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. So head to the right in your Bible there a little bit, Romans 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. Notice what it says here. but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Now, I think I put in your notes there, Paul was separated at birth. Now you can scratch through at birth there and put in the womb, okay? Those capital, I think they're capital letters there (laughs) in your uh, notes. Just scratch through at birth and put in the womb. So God separated Paul from his mother's womb. This idea of being separated in some way from the womb is exceedingly rare in the Bible. For instance, Jeremiah chapter, don't turn here, Jeremiah chapter one, verse five says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So that's what God said to Jeremiah. Same thing could be said of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1. But probably most significantly... In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1, it speaks of the Messiah in this way. Listen, O coastlands, to me and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord, that's Yahweh, has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name. And so Paul... Just like Jeremiah, John the Baptist, and the Messiah has been separated by God, marked out as distinct saint by God, from the womb. Now, rabbit trail. Real quick, rabbit trail. These passages that I just read to you, Galatians, Jeremiah, and Isaiah, teach us that a baby is a person in the womb a person not a glob of cells not a overly developed glob of cells but a person it talks of god knowing an infant in the womb sanctifying setting apart an infant in the womb speaking their name in the womb because of this and because of the fact that the bible in no way distinguishes the phases of development in the womb the bible doesn't say anything about that it just it views the baby in the womb from conception to delivery as one thing they are a baby and a person because of that abortion is the unjustified taking of a person's life. We call that murder. That's what it is. Because in the womb, the baby is a person in the sight of God. Even if not in the sight of man, in the sight of God, they are. Okay, that was an aside. Back to... Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. That's where you should be. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. I want you to also notice in this verse, not just that it talks about Paul being separated from my mother's womb, but it goes on to say, and called me through his grace. And so the words separated and called appear here in Galatians 1.15, and they also appear in Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. And so it uses those same two words. Okay, so we see here in Galatians 1 that Paul was separated from the womb. Secondly, I want us to consider, or secondly or thirdly or wherever I'm at in the notes here, I want us to see that Paul was separated to ministry. Separated to ministry. Now turn back to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. We'll be looking at verse 2. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Probably a pretty familiar passage to many of us. But verse 2 says, As they, and the they refers to the men mentioned in verse 1, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul. That Saul there is our Paul in Romans. Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And the work that Barnabas and Saul had was church planting through evangelism. But I want you to notice again here in Acts 13, 2, we have the same two words appear, separated and called. Do you see that? Look in the middle of the verse. Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Isn't that interesting? Here's three passages that speak of Paul being separated Being marked out as distinct. And in these three passages, it connects that separation to his call. Call and separated go together. Both of these things require a response. Paul had to respond to the call and to being marked out as separated. But that's not where this being separated ends, because it says in Romans 1:1, 1, 1, if you want to turn back there now, it says back in our passage that Paul was separated to the gospel of God. Okay, so he's marked out as distinct in some way in relation to the gospel of. Of God. Now, when we read that, we have to ask the question, what is what is the gospel of God? Well, let's talk about the meaning of gospel. And, and many of you know this already, but let's review. It's always good to review. The word gospel actually comes from two words. The words good message. Good message. So the gospel is some kind of good message, or we say good news and we know what good news is right we know what good news is because we know what bad news is if you go to the doctor and the doctor says your tests have come back you have cancer bad news not gospel bad news but if you go back to the doctor in a month and he says we've done all the tests again and everything we can do and we can find no cancer good news That's a gospel. That's a gospel. So the gospel simply means good news. Now, the word gospel appears some 77 times in our New Testament. And it's used in uh, quite a few different ways. You have the gospel or the good news of the kingdom, which in the gospels, the synoptic gospels in particular, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's almost always used as the gospel of the kingdom. But we also have the gospel of peace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God. So anytime we see the word gospel, don't assume you know what it's talking about. Look at the context to see what's the good news. What's this gospel talking about? In the case here in Romans chapter one, it is the gospel of God. If I can put that another way, It's the gospel, the good news from God. In other words, the good news that Paul is going to focus on here comes from God the Father. It finds its source in God the Father. God originates this good news. Paul didn't make it up. That's a a pretty significant point, don't you think? Paul's gonna go around and say, believe in the gospel. You know, believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to know Paul didn't make that up. The 12 apostles didn't make that up. In fact, we can even say the Lord Jesus himself didn't make it up, it came from God the Father. And so what is God the Father's news exactly? Well, God the Father's good news is the message of Paul's mission. He's separated. That's his mission. He's separated to the gospel of God. That's his mission. And the gospel of God is the message of that mission. And that is described for us in verses 2 through 4. Now before we get going on those three verses, I want you to think about something. When you have been separated out from something, and you have been separated to something, it helps you understand what your purpose is. It helps you understand what you are supposed to do. Most of our culture right now, and it's not just happened last week or something, it's been this way for a while, but there's lots of people out there who don't know what their purpose is in life. And so they try to find their purpose. They try to center themselves. They try to do personal development. They try to find themselves, and that's all as they're trying to seek purpose. You know, we used to call it a midlife crisis, right? You don't hardly ever hear that phrase anymore, midlife crisis. That's because for most people now, all of life is a crisis. Because they don't know why they're here. They don't know what they're supposed to do. They have no purpose. In life, And when people try to find the purpose to their life, and they exclude God from their life, it only ends up in destructive behavior. When you try to understand what your purpose is in life without God, without God being a part of your life, it ends up leading you into self-destructive behavior. You hear about all these celebrities and politicians who seem like they have a lot on the ball, and all of a sudden you hear a story about how their life just fell over the cliff, and all these bad things happen. They're trying to live their life, they're trying to have purpose in their life without God, and it's led them to self-destructive behavior. It's led them to behavior that has destroyed their families, their careers, and and even all of their finances. All of that because they're either ignorant of God or they are intentionally ignoring what God says about their life. Now, as believers, we don't have to search for purpose in our life by going out into the middle of the woods and being quiet and humming to ourselves and sitting cross-legged. We don't have to do that because we have God's purpose for our life in uh, his word. And uh, just let me encourage you that this is exactly what the Lord Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord Jesus talked about purpose in life And when you know that purpose, what it leads to. Let me read to you these very familiar verses from Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 34. This is our Lord speaking. Therefore, do not worry. When you have purpose, you don't need to worry. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? And this is not talking about, do we go to Chick-fil-A or do we go to Hardee's? It's talking about, is there anything that we can eat? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, what's the result of seeing the purpose in your life as serving and following God? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So we understand when we are following God's purpose for our life, following what he says our purpose is in his word, then we can focus our lives on that purpose, serving God with all that we have and all that we are, trusting God to provide everything else that we need. We can focus on following God and God will provide our needs. This is part of what it means to be separated to the gospel of God. Paul can focus on proclaiming the gospel of God and trust God for everything else. And we see that he does that in the book of Acts. So let me kind of bring verse 1 to a close here. And I would encourage you, if you've written your Bible, you might want to do this. By the name Paul in one, just writer. Just put the word writer. Put a little line to Paul. He's the writer. Then we have the word servant or slave. Slave of Jesus Christ. You can write the word submit or maybe surrender or obedience Submit shorter, that's what I would write. It's also easier to spell. That's why I do it. So here's a servant. This idea of submit. And that brings us a question. Will we be obedient to God? Paul was obedient. Would we be obedient? Then the next word is the word apostle there. You see that word apostle in verse 1? I would write there the word go. G-O, go. That challenges us. Will we go and serve God anywhere, doing anything, no strings attached? Most of the time we say, we'll go. And now it's time to begin the negotiation. There's no negotiating with God. We go. Will you do that? Then the third word, the word we looked at this morning, separated. This is the word I think we have, purpose. That's what I wrote down, purpose. Will you recognize that you have been chosen by God for a purpose? He has given you a purpose. And let me tell you, if we don't do these things, if we don't submit, if we don't go, if we don't recognize God's purpose for us, we're only cheating ourselves. We're cheating ourselves out of the joy and blessing and peace that only comes from following and obeying God. And so we have Paul's mission Paul's mission, he's separated to the gospel of God, and that gospel is his message, and that's in verses 2 through 4. So let's take a look at these verses here this morning and the rest of our time. So the message of God, or Paul's mission... The message of his mission is the gospel of God. He is to proclaim the gospel of God, the good news that is from God. Now, as you look at verses 2 through 4, there in your notes, I have given you, I attempted to give you something of an outline, how this verse is structured. And so I just want to look, if you got your notes there, I want you to look at your notes, not your Bible. Okay, look at your notes, not your Bible. And I want you to see under point 2, his message, it says the structure of the passage. So verse 2, 3, 4. And notice verse 2, it says, which he promised before. Which he promised before. This is the main idea. This is the main idea of these verses. Which he promised before. And we'll talk about those parts. And then notice it says, through his prophets. You see that? And do you see how there's three lines that are lined up there? Through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. Those three lines are all connected to the gospel of God which he promised before. Okay? They're all describing something about that promised gospel and then below the line that says concerning his son you see there's two other lines that are lined up where it says who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead and all of this It is it's sort of it's working on a starting from the ground and working towards the sky. It's going towards the climax of the exclamation of who the Son of God is, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, in the King James and the New King James, it inserts Jesus Christ, our Lord, there at the beginning of verse three. That's not where it goes. They put that there because they tried to make the English smoother. But when they did that, they messed up the apostles flow of thought because he's not just listing facts. These facts are building up to the point where he says who the son of God is, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the climax. That's why it's at the end. So let's take a look at this now. And if that totally confuses you, just hit the delete button for the last three minutes and you'll be okay. So the first thing I want us to see about the message is letter A, the gospel of God, the message was promised. This is in verse 2, was promised. It says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The word which there refers back to the gospel of God in verse 1. That's what it's talking about, the gospel of God. And notice it says which not whom, which, not whom. So the gospel is talking about information, information, not a person, facts, or truth. And as we will see, the information of the gospel is about a person. But the gospel itself is not a person. It is information. It is truth, which he promised before. The he here is God the Father. So the gospel of God is something that God the Father promised before. In Greek, that's one word. Actually, it's a compound word in Greek that means before and promise. But I want you to think about something. Before and promise. Does that... Does that make sense? Don't all promises come before? All promises come beforehand. They don't come after, you know, unless you're trying to make an excuse. I promise I'll never do that, you know, or something like that. Promise, a promise is always made ahead of time. So why would Paul say, use the word that means to promise beforehand? It's because he's putting three big exclamation marks by the word promise. That this isn't just a promise that might happen. This isn't a promise that could happen. This is a promise that will certainly happen. Paul is saying God has promised with all of his heart that he's going to provide the gospel message. So God promised the gospel beforehand, beforehand. Now, this phrase, which he promised beforehand, is qualified or described by three prepositional phrases. I already told you that. Pre, three prepositional phrases where it says, through his prophets, that's one, in the Holy Scriptures, that's two, concerning his son. That's the third one. And these phrases tell us who the, prophet, uh, who the promise came through, where the promise is located, and what the promise is about. So let's look at these. This is letter B there in your notes. Who the promise came through. It came through his Prophets. These would have been the Old Testament prophets. These are the prophets that God directly communicated with, and He gave to them information about the gospel. God is the one who gives the gospel to the prophets. And so the prophets only announce what the gospel is. Secondly, we also find here where the promise is found. Where the promise is found. It says through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Again, this is the Old Testament. The prophets wrote the Holy Scriptures, wrote the Old Testament. And so the promise of the gospel is found in the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament. This promised good news was not only for the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles. That'll be an important point later on in this letter to the Romans. But we know this from passages like Genesis 3.15, where God promised one to conquer Satan before the Jews even existed. We also know this from passages like Isaiah 49, 6, where it talks about the Lord Jesus, the Messiah being given as a light to the Gentiles to be salvation to the world. And so the promise is found in the scriptures. It's not found in some philosophical idea out there. If you want to know what the promise that God has made is, the promise of the gospel, you have to look in the Bible. The Bible has the truth. Now what is promise? So we saw saw who the promise came through, where the promise is located. Now what is the promise about? It says concerning his son, concerning God's son I might put it another way the promise was the predictions of the coming Messiah that's what the promises were now I think there's a few things we need to think about here if we think a little bit more about that word promise it's a word of anticipation promise is an anticipation if somebody promises to give you something or do something for you what do you do you anticipate the fulfillment of that promise, right? So promise is an anticipation. In the Old Testament, believers anticipated the gospel. They anticipated the gospel. In the New Testament, believers acknowledge the gospel. Anticipation and acknowledge. In the Old Testament, they look forward to... As you get into the New Testament, and today we look back upon. And so the Old Testament people trusted in what God promised. They trusted in what God promised for their salvation. In the New Testament and today, we trust what God has accomplished. That's what we trust, what God has accomplished. The, the second thing I need to I think we should think about from these words, is the inspiration of scripture. The inspiration of scripture. The message, the gospel, is from God. He is the source. But he delivers it through the prophets who wrote it down in our Bible. And so we have the Holy Scriptures authored by God, mediated through men. So when we speak of the inspiration of Scripture, the inspiration of our Bible, we mean that God the Father's message came to the prophets and the apostles by the Holy Spirit. And then those men wrote it down to communicate exactly what God wanted communicated. That's what we see in this verse. The Father promised. The promise comes through the prophets, and the promise is found in the scriptures. We also find here that the gospel is not new good news. It's not new good news. It has been around since the Old Testament. It's not new good news. You can look in your Old Testament and you can find the Gospels. The Gospel. Well, I think think I'm going to stop right there. So before we get to number letter three roman numeral three who is god's son i will pick that up there next week because there's no way in the time that we have left that i can communicate what i need to communicate from this but uh, let's just think let's just think about what we have studied thus far so first I accomplished 50% of what I intended to do this morning. (laughs) Because we got down through part of verse 3. But more importantly than that, we see that here is the Apostle Paul. Paul, the writer of this book, who emphasizes the fact as he begins this letter that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. He's not claiming a position of authority, not a position of being better than the people he's writing to. He emphasizes the fact that he is called an apostle, that he has been sent on a specific mission with a specific message. And that tells us right away when we think about that, he's not the boss. Not only is he a slave, but he also doesn't get to develop or choose what he is going to talk about and who he's going to talk about it with. He doesn't get to do that because he's an apostle and an apostle is someone that someone else sends. And then he emphasizes the fact that he is separated to the gospel of God. He is Marked out as distinct for proclaiming the gospel of God. God has a purpose for Paul that involves the proclamation of the good news that comes from God the Father. And that this good news, the good news of God the Father, didn't just show up, it was promised. And it was promised from thousands of years before Paul existed. Thousands of years before the time of Paul. God made a promise of good news. And that promise came through his prophets. The prophets wrote the promise down. And so as we study our Old Testaments... It is God's word of promise. And we see these promises everywhere. And these promises talk about the one he's going to send, the one who will be the Messiah, the savior of the world. And like we read in Matthew, who will save his people from their sins. The Bible even talks about how the Messiah will sacrifice himself, bearing the sins of many in his own body, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And so Paul is defining what his gospel is. He's telling us the message that he's talking about, the message that he's going to write to the Romans is no different than the message that has been given for hundreds and hundreds of years. And that they can, be, they can verify that Paul is giving the same message by reading the prophets in the Old Testament. The gospel is not a new good news. It's God's old good news that we can trace back almost to the very beginning of humanity. And God's promises that he made then are promises that he will fulfill even today. Are you thankful that the promises that God makes will always come true? He will always fulfill his promises. Well, why don't you stand with me and we'll close in a word of prayer and be dismissed to our fellowship Time and then Sunday school.